was a Jewish leader. He was a cupbearer to the Persian king Artaxerxes. So this is after the time that Israel had been uh, captured, the northern kingdom by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom by the Babylonians. So they've been in captivity. Some people have returned back to the homelands. Um, the city was completely destroyed when the Babylonians came in, destroyed the temple, destroyed the walls, destroyed the city, killed most of the people. And years later, Nehemiah hears a message from his brother saying, the walls of the old city, Jerusalem, are completely in disrepair and destroyed. And he mourned, he fasted, and he prayed to God during difficult circumstances. In chapter 2, he went and was ready for an opportunity to speak to the king. Because his face was sad because of what happened. The king asked him, what do you want? And he said, here's my plan. I want to go to the, the old city of Jerusalem. He's in the capital city, and he wants to go back to Jerusalem. I think we have the map somewhere for that. And then he, here's my plan. And in chapter 3, it talks about all the people he works with. He gets, he's the leader of these builders, and he's going to rally the people. He gets them excited, like we have a job to do. God's city is to be protected. It's supposed to be walled up, and people are not safe where it is, and we're going to do the work. And he rallied the people. And we talk about this. That whole chapter, chapter 3, is about the mundane. So just list the people and the sections of the wall that they built. But God works through the mundane. And in chapter 4, we talked about opposition and difficulty when building God's kingdom. He had some opposition from outside. He was taunted. He was made fun of. We're going to talk more about this today. And in chapter 5, we talked about internal struggles building the wall. People were getting upset because Jews were enslaving other Jews through exacting of interest, through usury, through mortgaging and the godly rich and the godly and ungodly, the ungodly rich and the godly poor, and how they interact with each other, and how God calls us and called Nehemiah to be generous, never using his governor's allowance. And that's where we are today in chapter six. And it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshev the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together at Hecathirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I'm doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hands. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. This is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets, prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now, come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, 
for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Now I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did. Also the prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So the wall was finished on the 20, on the. 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. And they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, And his son, Jehohanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent me letters to, to make me afraid. So, what's the big idea here? The big idea is that opposition increases in proportions to your proportion to your obedience opposition increases in proportion to your obedience and we're seeing this with nehemiah as he gets near to the end of building the wall the opposition the intensity goes up a level so in verse one we have the three stooges right we have sanballat we have, who is a Samaritan Moabite, kind of a half, the half-breed leader of the area. Not a true Jew, but from some descent. We have Tobiah from Ammon, an ancient enemy of Israel. And we have Geshem from south, from the Arab lands. All these surrounding nations against him. I think we have the slide of the surrounding nations. Yes, right? These people are not huge fans of God's people. So they are opposing Nehemiah. They, they didn't like him from the beginning. And now, it's getting close to the end, like we have to stop him. Right? So the success as the wall is nearly complete. It's been, the breaches have been filled. They just need to set up the doors and the gates. So like we need to stop Nehemiah now. So they have a plan. Here's our plan. Let's meet at the plain of Ono, outside the land of Jerusalem, of Judah. Let's meet there, and we can come together, we can have a conversation. Let's just talk it out. 
right? I mean, people say, let's just talk it out. They don't want to talk it out. They want to distract him. They want to harm him. They want to hurt him. Because enemies weaken, but God strengthens. The enemies of, of God's people, from Nehemiah's time to ours, their, their job is to weaken us, to make us feel weak, to distract us, to harm us. But God is the one who strengthens us. So they let's meet together. Let's, let's have a conversation. Maybe if you're playing play to his ego, maybe he needs a break from the wall. I'll go. We'll have, some, we'll have some wine. We'll have a great feast. But no, Nehemiah was smart. He knew they intended to do me harm. These guys are not my friends. These guys are my enemies. So ne- Nehemiah knew this. And he perceived it. And this wasn't good. So he said, you know, I'm not even going to deal with these people, which you must do with enemies. I'm not going to deal with them. He didn't come himself to meet them. He said, I'm going to send a messenger telling the truth. I have a great work which I'm doing, all true. I don't have time to come down to them because I'm doing this work. I'm leading these people. The walls are almost finished. And they continue to pester them. These guys are definitely bullies, right? They do it four times. And he says the same thing. Sometimes people, you need to uh, have a firm line in the sand, right? There are people who are your enemies. And he says, fourth time, no, 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 no. The fifth time of him, of them trying to distract him, to cajole him, and he keeps saying, no, the fifth time, now it's time for the open letter, right? Open letters have... This is probably the origin of the open letter, right? An open letter is something that's sent to somebody, but it's intended for a wider audience, right? Probably the origin of the open letter. Something written to an individual, but meant for a wider audience, and what's their plan? We will start the rumor campaign, right? Saying, so we heard this. We heard a rumor. We heard people that you are doing this to rebel. And guess who confirms it? Oh, Geshem, one of the stooges, one of the enemies. He also says that you said this, right? You're rebelling. You want to be the king. These are powerful, dangerous lies. Artaxerxes did not rule through a hand of peace, but a hand, an iron fist of bloodshed. And if he knew that there was a rebel kingdom, he put down and killed his own brother to be the emperor of the Persian Empire, right? and destroyed his, and seriously maimed his other brother because he tried to do the same thing to him. So this, this fake news has real consequences. Powerful lies. And he's saying, in return, you have set up lying prophets. Lying prophets saying this. And at this point, Nehemiah, he needs to say something. He needs to respond. He says, this is false. Right? You are making these things up out of your own mind. In responding that these things are just not true. And he says, he kind of gives some commentary of his own on verse 9. He says, they wanted to frighten me to stop the work. They're trying to frighten him, to scare him away, to distract him, to keep him from doing the work. And they are pushing hard. But he asked God, Strengthen me in this time. Because he is just like us, right? 
Those things can be really scary and really hard. And as believers, we need to know, like Nehemiah, that there are enemies of Jesus and his kingdom on this earth. A wise man knows that not everyone's going to sing Kumbaya together. That there are people who are going to oppose Jesus They're going to oppose those who stand up for Jesus. And he responds infrequently. Because giving your enemies all your time and your energy is just going to exhaust you. So most of the time he ignored them. But when there was a blatant lie, he corrected it. People will also hate your belief in Christ. They did this to Nehemiah. They did this to Jesus. Jesus had enemies. The Son of God who never sinned, who healed so many people, raised the dead, the blind see. You would think this guy would be like the most famous guy in all of Israel, right? But no. He had enemies because they didn't like what he stood for. That he wanted to accept the status quo. So you, if this happens to the master, what happens to the sheep, right? What will happen to, has happened to me will happen to you. There, are people, there will be people in life who will oppose you, who will threaten, who will try to harm you. This is especially true if you are a leader. If you are a leader in your workplace, in your school, in your company, and this is not just spiritual leaders like myself and the leadership team, but in your place of business. If you are trying to stand up for what's right, for Jesus, for integrity, for the truth, there will be opposition. If a leader is struck, Satan thinks and people think that if I can take down the leader, it, will, it can destroy the company, it can destroy the business, it can destroy God's work. And it even says this in Scripture, that strike the shepherd, it says in Zechariah, and the sheep will be scattered. Now, if you are going with the flow, if you are also part of the evil system, you're not going to have any problems, right? Things are all downhill. Because if you're not standing up for what is right, if you're doing, if you're, if you're doing what is evil, you're not going to have any opposition, because that's how this whole world works. There are evil people in this world. And there are wise people who love God. There's also Satan, right? We, Sanballat and Tobiah were probably demonically controlled, demonically influenced. There is a, just as there's a real God, there is a real enemy of our souls whose job is, Jesus says he's the liar from the beginning and the father of lies, right? He is the accuser of the brethren. We're happy to believe in God, but we are not so sure about Satan. But he is just as real. He uses the same tactics in Nehemiah's time as in our time. His job is to destroy the people and the works of God. And if he can take down the leader, as you've seen many leaders fail and fall in epic ways, and it destroys churches, it destroys faith, it is heavily damaging 
to God's plan on this to bring his kingdom into the earth. Because most people that have ever talked to you that have left Jesus and left the church, most of them, they have theological and scientific arguments, but underneath that, they've usually been hurt by somebody in the church, by a leader, by a brother or sister, because they didn't do what God wanted them to do. And Satan is looking for opportunities. To destroy him. If I can't bring him down, I will make him sin. But if the leader stays focused like Nehemiah and draws his strength from the Lord, it brings honor to God. It brings glory to God. He wasn't strategizing. How do I stop this? Do I need to start my own campaign back? I would be... <laughs> I would be so happy, like, you know, I got some great guys here. Just go in the night and eliminate these people. Right? Some of us think this way, or maybe it's just me. But it would be nice to eliminate those people, or that God would eliminate those people. Or God could use me. I could be like the Batman. Establish God's justice by eliminating these people. But no. What Nehemiah asked is for God to give him strength. He was scared, right? It doesn't say this, but of course he's got to be scared. He was tempted probably to give in to fear or to anger. But he looked to God and continued his work with God's strength. And we can do this too. If we call out to God, God is waiting for us to pray to him. God is waiting for us to seek him. When you are feeling like you are overwhelmed, when you have enemies in your life, when you feel like things are not going well, call out to God. Say, God, give me strength. <coughs> Help me in this situation. Show me what to do, Jesus. If you do this, God will answer that. So enemies weaken, but God strengthens. My second point is that enemies frighten, but God protects. So he's given strength not to listen to Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem in their lies. But there's more issues, right? He goes to a friend's house. Shemaiah, it's a Jew, like himself, probably in Jerusalem, probably a friend of Nehemiah. He shut up in his home, that verse, in verse 10. That usually refers to somebody who's devoted, like shut up in the home, devoted themselves to God. Right? Or at least the appearance of, of doing that. So on paper, it wants us to look at Shemaiah as a super godly God. I'm not going to go out. I'm going to spend my day devoting myself to the scriptures, devoting myself to God, praying and seeking Him. And it sounds like he's a prophet, or the appearance of a prophet anyway. Somebody who is either foretelling or foretelling about God and his kingdom. So he says to Nehemiah, hey, listen, bad things are going to happen tonight. Let's go to the temple. The temple is a safe place. This is where God's presence is. And for us to know, that is where God's presence was manifested. And only priests could enter in there. And Nehemiah, he responds appropriately. He says, I'm a simple man. 
But it's not my job to, to fear these people. If it's my time to go, it's my time to go. If I need to confront them and have that hard conversation, I will do that. He also says, it is not for me to disobey God by entering the temp temple. If it costs me my life to do this, it will cost me my life. Because that would be disobeying God. It would cause them to sin. Because normal people, non-priests, non-Levites are not supposed to enter the temple. So he said, no, I'm not going to do this. And then in verse 12, it's interesting, he says, he became aware that he was not sent from God, but, but from his enemies. Now, I don't know exactly how God did this. Maybe the Holy Spirit told him. Maybe he had a feeling in his heart from God. Could be many ways that God might have manifested this truth to him. Maybe he saw a look in his eye that made him have alarm bells go off. But he knew God told him, God protected him and said, this is not from, from me. This is not from me, Nehemiah. And he elaborates this, this, this ruse, this, this false information was designed to make him afraid and to do something foolish and to tarnish his reputation and discredit him. Right? They couldn't kill him like they wanted to do in the plain of Ono. We will cause him to, to dishonor himself will discredit him. That's what his enemies wanted him to do. And again, he asks God. He's, he cries out to God. Now, this is something we've talked about this before, but he asks to remember them and their sinful behavior. He didn't decide to be the Batman and get a vengeance himself. He says, God, you remember them. You know what they've done. You are a God of justice, and you will bring justice on their heads in your timing. Right? Remember. And then there's other people. He doesn't even say, who's Noadiah? Right? Who is she? And there's, there's plenty of people in Nehemiah's life that don't like him because he's a leader. Because he's building the wall. Because he's doing God's work. Right? Noadiah, prophetess, male and females, participating against Nehemiah. And it says other enemies to make him afraid. Clearly false prophets. It's funny. You, those... Tobiah and Sanballat, they're, they're gaslighting him, right? They're saying, you have false prophets, but actually Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, they hired false prophets, right? Call it projection, right? The thing that somebody that you are doing, you say that they're doing it, right? They're the ones hiring false prophets, gaslighting them. And what does that mean for us? That fear is a powerful force. Now, it makes us sometimes do things that are impulsive and foolish, that are not holy, not rational. Now, we have natural fear. God gave that to us. So if there's a lion next to us, that fear enables us to run very fast and to protect our children, right? We didn't have any fear at all. It would be bad for humans, right? But... In our modern world, in the world we live in, in a sinful, broken world full of people, fear can be very dangerous. Had Nehemiah listened to the fear in his heart, he would have discredited himself. He would have fallen. He would, the work would not be finished because they would say, discredit him because you sin against the Lord. And the work would not be finished. Fear, for us, makes us do something, things that are selfish. <clears throat> 
Fear makes us protect ourselves at the expense of others. You know, you're caught in doing something, so you might be tempted, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to lie because I'm afraid right now. Sometimes it keeps us through from the things that we should do. I'm not going to be generous because I'm not sure where my next meal is coming from. I'm not going to share the gospel because I don't want something to happen to me at work. I don't want them to come around. That's what fear does. Even though God might be saying, hey, you need to be generous. Hey, this person needs to hear your truth. Hear the gospel. But fear makes us say, oh, I don't know if I should do that. It's self-protecting. But we need not fear man because God protects us. Nehemiah feared and trusted God more than people. And God, what did he do? He delivered him. He spoke to him. He said something to him that showed him the truth. He trusted God. He feared God and not man. Fear of man is one of the biggest issues probably in our church today. That we, especially in Kuwait, I have the same problem. We fear people and what they can do to us. But Nehemiah feared God and God, God is sovereign over everybody in your life. He is sovereign over your boss. He is sovereign over your friends. He is sovereign over your company. He is in control of all those things. And God will deliver us if we seek Him and fear Him and trust Him. He will protect you. But sometimes we need to slow down to understand this. Like in the, in the height of that fearful emotion, we do things that are stupid, that are foolish, that are dangerous, that are sinful. But we need to slow down and this is the time to shout out another prayer to God. God, Show me what I should be doing here. Do I have reason to be afraid? You show me what I'm supposed to be doing in this situation. When opposition increases, God's grace will also increase for you. God's grace will also increase for you as you face opposition. This helps us to continue to trust Him. I can look back. Sometimes when I'm fearful, I look back at other times that God has delivered me and that gives me faith for today. It's like, no, you delivered me from this situation during COVID. You helped me survive. You helped me reunite with my family. You're going to be faithful again. So look back at past grace, past ways. Just like Nehemiah, I'm sure he was looking back, God gave me this vision to build this wall. And even though I'm afraid, even though things are scary, I'm going to continue to do what God wants me to do and listen to his voice because he, has spoke, he spoke to me. Spoke to me in the past, he will continue to speak to me. And for you, for us, we need to listen and remind ourselves of how God has delivered us in the past to give us strength and faith for today. And we should, we should be doing that. The third point. Enemies will discourage you, but God will give you victory. So in verse 15... <coughs> It says he finished the wall in 52 days. That's amazing, right? Not even two months. And his enemies are terrified the work was done. They didn't think it would be possible, right? They taunted him. They mocked him. They said it's gonna, you, you put a cat on that thing, it's going to fall down, right? But he built the wall. He set the gates. 
even with an internal and external resistance, it was done. However, even in this, there are remaining issues. Verse 17, there's nobles, there's leaders corresponding with Tobiah. Unlike Nehemiah, who doesn't entertain his enemies, these people weren't communicating with them. Right? In verse 18, there's these high-ranking officials in Judah who are intermingling with the Ammonites. Right? Because Tobiah has son-in-laws and, and daughters-in-law and uh, sons and daughters who are marrying Jews. Which God expressly forbade for this reason. Because then your friends and your enemies, you become divided. You become divided in your and who you who you worship and your loyalties. Who are you loyal to? So just like the Jews enslaved other Jews in the last chapter, now we have these Jews who have to give deference and priority to Tobiah because he's now he's family. Now he's family. So we got to protect our family. Even though Nehemiah is an amazing leader and built the wall, family comes first. So they're telling, they're trying to, to, to make the situation better. Saying, Nehemiah, tell me, he's not that bad. Yes, he tried to kill you many times. Yes, he mocked you, hated you at the wall, but he's a great guy at heart. He's a great guy at heart. Maybe he said those things, but that's not what he meant. He meant that he really wants to be, be part of your team. So they're saying this to him. How do you think he how do you think he felt about this? Right? And then Nehemiah reported his words back to Tobiah, which were probably not words of love and affirmation. Here's what I think about you, Tobiah. And then Tobiah himself was sending his own letters of threats and fake news to scare him. Right? Fake news in the last paragraph? Probably more fake news. Things are going to happen. Fake news causes real problems. So this must have been so discouraging for Nehemiah. I mean, I can only imagine you, you, you accomplished God's dream, but your, your, your fellow brothers and sisters are now siding with the enemy. And this is why we, we, we don't deal with enemies, because they will use anything they can against you. They're using their family relationships against Nehemiah. They will cause a thorn in your life. This is why God told the original, when they inhabited the land of Canaan, to eliminate their enemies fully, because otherwise they're going to become a thorn in your side for the rest of history. So, just to be clear, be wise about your friendships. Who are you spending your time with? They are going to make a big difference in your life, ladies and gentlemen. If you're spending all your time with people who do not know Jesus, who hate Jesus, that's going to influence you. That's going to affect you. And please, for those of you who are not already married, be wise about who you choose to marry. I've been here long enough to see people marry other people who are not of the same faith as them, and it causes 50 years of pain 
and difficulty and heartache. Please be wise about who you want to spend the rest of your life with. If you've already made the decision, I guess it's, it's done, right? Um, if you haven't made the decision, use wisdom. Right? We live in a culture where there's one thing I like about this culture is that parents have involvement in who people are. Because young people, no offense, and myself included sometimes, make terrible decisions. Because love is blind, and we, are, we make foolish decisions based on the now, and we're not thinking, how is it going to be like 50 years from now? But to put a point on it, be careful. Get other believers involved in any relationships you're with. Because the wisdom of outside people can maybe help clear out some of the blindness that you may have. Now, very discouraging. But God still gave him victory. Imagine the pressure and the opposition he was under. But still, God gave him victory to build the wall. And if you devote yourself to God and his calling, he will accomplish his kingdom purposes in your life. If you devote yourself to Jesus first, devote yourself to the kingdom, even though you're going to have enemies, even though you're going to have disappointments and discouragements and people are trying to derail and distract, maybe even destroy you. God is sovereign over his people and he will accomplish his vision in your life. In conclusion, Gabriel, if you want to come up. This has been like, <laughs> let me just be real. This has been a really hard week for me. <laughs> I had like about three or four things happen this week that were incredibly discouraging, right? I had to move on Saturday, not very fun. I had some pretty negative interactions with the Harris. Um, the parking lot was bulldozed. I had somebody in church tell me they weren't, don't want to be involved anymore. It's like, this is the worst week. God was obviously trying to teach me from my heart what it means to be discouraged. Because I felt that, and I know you have felt that in your life as well. But God will give us meaning and value and impact as we trust and obey. And we need to be aware that there are evil people. There is the enemy. There is an enemy in our world who seeks to oppose you and everything you stand for when it comes to Christ, when it comes to Jesus. These people, if you're wise enough to know that you have enemies, they cannot be reasoned with they cannot be engaged with. You will just waste all of your time, except for to rectify false information. Rarely engage with the enemy, because they'll use that to frighten, to hurt. They'll use it against you. Trust Jesus to take care of you. It's a constant fight. I fight every day to fear God more than man. I fight every day to think, wait, who am I trusting here? It's not like a one-time, oh, I trust God all the time. It's a, sometimes it's a moment-by-moment moment battle. Saying, who am I trusting? Am I trusting in Chris? Or am I trusting in Jesus? Am I trusting in 
this world system or am I trusting in God? So it's gonna, it takes time. It takes constant saying, I trust you, Jesus. Help me to trust you. I don't trust you, but I want to trust you more. Amen? Don't we feel that way? Right? Like, like the man talking to Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. I feel that way with fear and with enemies. Discouragement and disappointment is a part of leadership. But God will give you strength. God will protect you against fear. And he will give you victory. Let's pray. Stand up on our feet. <coughs> Jesus, we live in a world that is arrayed against you. That opposes you. And I know many of us, some of us, a lot of us, have, have had opposition when we try to do the right thing in our jobs, when we've tried to live with integrity and honesty and holiness in our places of work, in our homes even, we've met with opposition. Jesus, you said that the, the, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. So maybe your enemies are even at your home, not just at your work. But I, God, I know that you will overcome this world. Because in this world you have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And you will help us to overcome. Help us overcome the opposition in our lives. We want to build your kingdom in Kuwait. I want to build your kingdom, not Chris's kingdom. Not the kingdom of fear, the kingdom of self-protection. In a kingdom that will not last. But I want to build your kingdom in Kuwait. I want to love you more. I even want to love my enemies. I don't have to engage with them, but I want to love them. I want to pray for them. And God, I, I do that. We do that this morning. We pray for those who oppose us. That you would bring them to the knowledge of yourself. That they would see the light in us as believers, as peacemakers. And they would see something beautiful in them. They would ask us about the hope that's within us. God, I pray for every soul in this room. That they would draw closer to you. That you would speak to them. That you would encourage them in times of discouragement. That you would give them victory in their lives. That you would protect them. That you would speak to them as they call out to you. We love you, Jesus. We ask for us in your name.